Good morning. Welcome to Cypress Bible Church. My name is Brian Carroll, and I'm the equipping pastor here at CBC. It's my pleasure to welcome you this morning for worship. Whether you're joining us in person or online, we're thrilled that you're joining us today. Uh, CBC is a church made of, up of imperfect people who believe in beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. The way to accomplish that is summed up in the three words that we focus on here. Gather, grow, and go. Uh, we gather for life-changing worship, we grow through life-changing truth, we go in life-changing mission. So no matter where you are in your faith, we hope that you will consider joining us in that journey. Uh, before we begin our time of worship, I want to draw your attention to a couple of important announcements. As you know, we have been collecting items for Cypress Assistance Ministries to help out people in our community who are in a time of need. And I am happy to report that we collected over 217 crates of items. Uh, our goal was to fill that trailer, and that indeed did that. 200 filled it, and so we are thrilled with your contribution in that. So thanks for being part of supporting our community. Um, also, I'd like to draw attention to some uh, changes that are happening this Sunday. We are thrilled that we are beginning to open up more and more ministries. So this week, this Sunday morning, uh, children's ministry will be open, but in order to be involved or drop your child off, your child has to pre-register. If you're here on campus this morning and have not pre-registered your child, make sure you stop by the Welcome Center at the end or one of the check-in kiosks to get information on how you can sign up your child to attend future weeks. Uh, student Ministries is also meeting um, uh, this morning as well, and about five of our uh, adult groups are meeting on campus. Uh, this week begins women's ministry, so lots and lots of things that are going on. We encourage you to check out our website, cypressbible.org, and uh, check out um, the, all the programming elements that will be listed on there that are happening. Uh, one of the other things, as our numbers are increasing, we are glad to see more and more people returning back to worship with us. Uh, that means that we need to, to work a little better at uh, spacing, uh, make sure that we're doing distancing, um, uh, physical distancing with each other, and also wearing masks. Masks are at all our entrances, and so we encourage you to pick one of those up if you did not bring one. Uh, those are especially important when you are walking through hallways and in, in classrooms with lower ceilings. Uh, that way you are protecting others, and it's a way to support uh, each other and to care about each other. Also, one of the other things, in the auditorium itself, um, we have been getting along okay with just people taking seats on the aisles, but last few weeks that's become at capacity. So we're asking as you arrive that if you would move, at least one family would move to the center of that pew, allowing room for two families to sit on the ends of the pew. That would be very helpful to us, just starting now and moving forward, so that we can make sure that everybody who wants to be in the auditorium can get in the auditorium on a Sunday morning. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 66. While it's uncertain who penned this psalm or the specific occasion, we do know that it is a psalm of thanksgiving. Some scholars believe it was written at Passover after God saved his people from the Assyrians. Verses 1 through 4 say this, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing the praises of your name. It goes on in verses 5 through 7, the psalm calls the people to consider the awesome power and marvelous deeds of Almighty God. And then once again, we are called to worship in verse 8. Let's read this one aloud together. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. As we join together in worship to praise his holy name and thank him for all he is, does, and continues to do, let us come together with one voice and let the praises ring. Let's stand together and 
let your praise ring this morning.
we gather this morning to lift up your holy name, to praise your great name. Lost or safe, find their way at the sound of your great name. All condemned, feel no shame at the sound of your great name. Every At the sound of your great name, the enemy, he has to leave at the sound of your great name. Sing it. Jesus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain for us. Son of God and man, you are high and lifted up, and all the world will praise your praise name. All the weak find their strength at the Thank you. 
Piper's Bible, we're the Green Laws, Greg and Heidi, and we work in the Sepik region of Papua New Guinea, and we shepherd missionary teams. We have a team that moved into a really remote tribal location, learned their unwritten language, and they have been teaching them from creation and who God is all the way through the promised Redeemer, Jesus. And they've just finished these three months of teaching every day. And it's just, it's been really exciting to hear the testimonies coming from the Amdu people. And we would just love to share one of those with y'all. So this comes from one of the new believers, uh, one of the older men in the village. And he's speaking to his missionary uh, named Bart Allen. He says, Bart, for much of my life, people have been telling me that I would never go to heaven, that I couldn't or wouldn't be accepted by any means because of having multiple wives and because of the wild way that I've lived. But when I heard you guys teach that it was Jesus' blood that God was looking at to pay my debt, I was full of joy. He wasn't looking at all the bad that I had done, but only what Jesus did to remove my problem with him. I was a great sinner. I've done many bad things, but Jesus' blood is special enough to cover all of it. I am so happy. I've left my ancestral and personal magic that I trusted in, and I'm holding on to only the death of Jesus in my place. Sun. I 
Morales, and this is the Back in Time Exploration News Network, where we take a bite out of history. We go anywhere in time to bring you the biggest stories. As always, our reporters are going back in time to get you up close and personal with the true stories of the Bible. Sheila Ancavrit is standing by with the Apostle Paul himself. Sheila? Yes, Conchita. I'm here with the Apostle Paul. Sir, I understand that you just finished writing a letter to the church in Corinth? Yes, I've received reports about the Corinthian church, and I'm reaching out to correct and instruct them. This is in the new church in the city of Corinth, right? Yes, Corinth is a challenging city for believers. Corinth is a famous, influential city. It's filled with people from diverse cultures. The city is known for wealth, sports, art, schools, business, and I'm afraid, many sinful temptations. That sounds a lot, a lot like the city where I live in. Tell me more about the challenges they're facing. In Corinth, many sinful choices are considered okay and even popular. These new believers are struggling to follow Christ. They are arguing amongst themselves and failing to set themselves apart from their old sinful ways. I reminded them the Holy Spirit will help them. When I call out a sin, I call out that the cure is found in who Jesus is and who we are in Christ. Wow. I understand in your letter that you called them holy. Why do you call them holy when they are clearly struggling to give up sinful choices? God sees them as forgiven. He has set them apart for His purpose. I want them to live into that calling. God will complete what He started in each of them. Their identity, what defines who they are, is no longer of this world. Who they are is found in Jesus. If you'll excuse me now, I'm going to teach. Of course. Thank you, Paul, for your time and for your work spreading the gospel. This is Sheila Uncover It for Bite News. Back to you, Conchita. Thank you, Sheila. Paul may have written this letter to believers in Corinth, but believers from all ages can learn so much from this letter. Now we go to one of our Bible experts, Dee Seipel. Dee, Paul began to explain to us about our identity in Christ. Can you help explain this to our viewers? Thanks, Conchita. There are many words that describe who you and I are. For me, I'm a wife, a mom, and a teacher. And I have some containers here that might describe some of you. Student, maybe you enjoy school and it's very important to you. Or you really enjoy spending time with your friends. Or maybe you're into sports. Maybe you're really good at soccer or dance. Or you're a musician and you can play music or sing really well. Now none of these things is bad. It's good to enjoy school, and a friend is a gift from God. And if you're talented in sports or music, it's because God made you that way. But what happens if there's a, a test and you make a bad grade, or you can't understand the new math concept? What if your best friend moves away, or your other friend doesn't want to talk to you anymore? What if you get injured and you can't play your sport anymore? Or what if something happens and you can no longer make beautiful music? So these things are good, but they're temporary. If these things are what make you feel important or loved or safe, what happens when they go away? You might begin to think that you're not important or loved or safe. But if you have believed on Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then who you are is found in Jesus. And if Jesus is your Savior, then who you really are is a child of God. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. So when trouble comes, or when everything seems to be going wrong, 
your whole world turns upside down, you're safe because you're a child of God. Nothing can separate you from God and his love for you. You are safe and important and loved because you are God's child. So as you go about and enjoy your activities this week, remember who you really are, a child of God. Back to you, Conchita. Thank you, Dee. That really helps us understand that who we really are is found in Jesus. We are chosen to be God's holy people, set apart to serve God. We are treasured, loved, and we are not alone. I'm Conchita Morales, and we'll see you next time right here, somewhere in time. Stand together.
our study of 1 Corinthians this morning, and I've called this series Corrected When Christians Get Confused. Uh, This letter, 1 Corinthians, was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth, and it was a mess, this church. Uh, There was conflict and division and sexual sin and theological misunderstanding, uh, selfishness, spiritual pride, and doctrine that was adjusted to fit the culture, the society of the day. So Paul writes to correct these problems. And the message of 1 Corinthians is extremely relevant to you and I here today, uh, to the church in the world today, because these same errors are with us. These same things, these same truths are necessary. Now before we look at the text of 1 Corinthians, let me give you some background on Corinth uh, in Paul's day. Uh, The city uh, controlled two harbors. Uh, There was uh, the harbor on the east, which led straight into Asia, and the other on the west, which led to Italy. And so this made Corinth a hub of commerce, trade. Uh, The booming economy of Corinth attracted people from all over the Roman Empire. And uh, there were as many as 700,000 inhabitants uh, in the city, and at least a third of those were slaves. So uh, Corinth was a melting pot of ethnicities and religions and backgrounds, and and, uh, we had some Corinthians who were incredibly wealthy and many Corinthians who lived in poverty. 
one ancient writer explained why he didn't move to Corinth, and he said this, um, I learned in a short time the nauseating behavior of the rich and the misery of the poor. Well, I think that describes uh, a lot of American society today. There can be some nauseating behavior uh, from the very wealthy and uh, some great misery from those who are poor. The Corinthians as a people placed a high value on things like success and uh, self-promotion and competition and independence and pleasure-seeking. To act like a Corinthian was a phrase that was used as a synonym for prostitution, for decadence. Uh, And that's how the world in that day knew the Corinthians. That was their reputation. And the Apostle Paul traveled to Corinth in the year 50, probably in the spring, to bring the good news of Jesus to that place. And uh, that message was received. There were uh, many who accepted Jesus. A church was formed. Paul stayed there teaching them until he left in about uh, September of the year 51. Uh, He traveled to Ephesus from there, and over the course of the next couple of years, he began to hear some things uh, that were troubling about the church in Corinth. And eventually, he got a letter from the church in Corinth uh, that uh, was asking Paul some questions about things that, about which they were confused. And so Paul wrote a letter in response, and that's the letter we have, 1 Corinthians. Uh, he did that to answer the questions that he'd been asked and to address the problems that he saw in the church. So it, the letter begins this way, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Uh, Paul's calling here. Maybe think back, I, uh, I did lose in the flood uh, a diploma or two and some other certificates. Uh, this one is my first ordination certificate, and uh, that got some damage, but it's intact Uh, and I faced an examination council and wrote a paper uh, a long, long time ago. And uh, notice at the top, it says it's to all churches and Christians everywhere. Well, didn't quite work out all that well, because a few years later, a church that called me as a pastor, I had to get reordained, uh, write another paper, uh, face another examination council, so I would be kosher in their books. And then uh, 20 years after that, joined another denomination and said, no, 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 those other two ordinations aren't good enough. You need another paper and another council. In fact, you need to take some courses in addition to all the other courses you've taken so that we can approve you uh, as uh, an ordained minister. So I've been ordained three times. Uh, Not sure that makes it any better. Uh, Paul, though, he uh, was called by God, not to a specific congregation, Uh, His credentials didn't come from one church or denomination. No, God called him out of the world and sent him out into the world to spread the gospel. That's what uh, the basic definition of an apostle is. Uh, One sent out to represent the resurrected Jesus. And uh, Sosthenes is with him. He mentions his name here, and Sosthenes is, is probably... Uh, the guy we meet or re- read about in Acts 18.17 who was the synagogue leader in Corinth. And we read about him there as he's beaten up by a mob, but eventually it seems Sosthenes turned to Jesus and now he's traveling with Paul in Ephesus, but he's well known to the church in Corinth. So uh, Paul doesn't need to describe who he is, but just attaches his name showing Sosthenes agrees with this letter. 
And uh, I think also Sosthenes is likely uh, the one who transcribed Paul's letter. Paul uh, usually did not write with his own hand, either because of his poor eyesight or his poor handwriting or both. Uh, often had it transcribed by others. And I think Sosthenes is the one who transcribed this one. And uh, so he's agreeing with this message, and Paul includes his name here. Uh, well, this morning, what I want to focus on is these first nine verses of 1 Corinthians 1. And in these nine verses, the name of Jesus is declared nine times. He is central to the message. He's central to, to what the church needs. And uh, in spite of all the questions and the problems and difficulties happening in the Corinthian church, what Paul does in these first nine verses is it starts out with a very positive and encouraging word. He sees this church as it is in Christ before he sees anything else that's true about it. And I believe that's how we should see each other. That's how we should look at the local church. We should see who you are, who I am, who, who we are in Christ before we see anything else that's true about us. That's what Paul does here in these words. So uh, here, here's a, a, an old a picture uh, that I've come across. Uh, it is uh, seven-year-old me and my four-year-old brother and uh, we are doing church here. Uh, I'm using a clothes hamper as a pulpit, and I have an open Bible. My brother, you can barely see, he has a tiny little piano. He was the musician of that day and uh, couldn't play, but I couldn't preach, so we were really well suited for each other. We're in the bathroom because that's where the acoustics are the best, uh, and uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on uh, here. Uh, I guess we... we knew in our minds what we knew of church at seven and four was that involved the bible and the piano some music and uh that's what we were doing and uh, if you look closely you can see i'm wearing cowboy boots back then uh, as i have done most of the time when i preach uh don't know why that started uh but uh, that was going back then so at seven and four we had a very immature understanding of what the church is and what the church does and we were living that out to the best of our ability well, uh, the Corinthians had a very immature understanding of what the church is and does. And in these first nine verses, I want to see some truths that are presented by Paul to keep the church on course, to, to keep it correct. Now, as I went through this passage, I came up with at least a dozen truths. I'm only going to share five of you, five of them with you this morning. Uh, five very basic things, truths about the church to help us keep on target, uh, to help us keep straight on who we are in Christ. So let's look at these five truths. The first one is this, that the church is God's. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. I wonder how many churches you could describe, you could name simply by the name of the pastor. I imagine there are quite a few. Uh, I, I hear all the time things like this. Well, I, I visited David Jeremiah's church. I, I was at John MacArthur's church. I, I was with Andy Stanley or Tony Evans or Rick Warren or Crawford Loritz or Alistair Begg or John Piper or Tim Keller or Max Licato or Chuck Swindoll. And I could name dozens and dozens more out of memory. And probably most of those churches couldn't tell you the name of the church but the name of the pastor. And, and not to denigrate any of those uh, men in any way, but to say that very, what's very true in the American church is a celebrity culture. 
And that's part of what's wrong with our world, is this celebrity culture. That's definitely what's happening in Corinth. Uh, they, they, and Paul sets the tone from the very beginning that this is God's church. He uses here a genitive of possession. This is the church of God. And so the church of Corinth doesn't belong to any leader or any group. And remember this, Paul is the founding pastor of this church. Paul's the one who planted it. Paul's the one who gave it its initial teaching and set it on its way. Uh, and, and he says here, the greater truth is that you belong to God. And one of the hang-ups of the Corinthians was this desire to align themselves with a particular Christian leader. And I would say that's epidemic in the church today, and it needs to change. It needs to be viewed differently. Paul says your primary identity is in Christ alone. This is the church of God, not of anybody else. The second truth is that the church is sanctified in Jesus. Verse 2 continues, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. Now the word sanctified means to be set apart for a holy purpose. And the word saint comes from that. It's related to that as well. Now the New Testament uh, teaches, in effect, that there are three stages, shall we say, of sanctification. Let me just remind you of those. Uh, there's positional sanctification, there's experiential sanctification, and then final sanctification. Uh, the, the setting apart for God's holy purpose. So the positional sanctification is something that's all God's doing. It's in the past. And that's what's referred to here in this verse. That's an action that took place in the past that has continuing present results. And that this, this past or positional sanctification is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, all who trust in Jesus are declared holy in the sight of God. That for those who believe, Jesus has paid sin's penalty once for all. His sacrifice washes away your sin, brings you into the family of God forever. And so therefore, when your trust is in Jesus, you are now a saint. Uh, whether It's not your saintliness that makes that happen. It's the declaration of God through Christ, where God has called you out of sin and the darkness of this world into the kingdom of light, the, the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. That's positional. Uh, the second part of sanctification is experiential, and that's in the present. Uh, that is what happens as you grow to be more and more like Jesus uh, in this day and age. When you are allowing the Holy Spirit to control your life, and you're confronting and convicted about your own sin, and you confess that sin and know the forgiveness of God, and you experience living up to your identity uh, as a saint, that identity, which is true forever because of Jesus, you are living that out experientially here in the present. I love one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 10, 14, that says, by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I love that verse because it describes both positional, that you've been made perfect forever because of the sacrifice of Jesus, and you are now experiencing that. You are now being made holy great verse and so finally then we come to the future and that is sanctification that is yet to come uh, entire pure perfect sanctification will not happen until the day jesus 
uh, is revealed and we meet him face to face. Sin then will no longer be present. Sin will then no longer be possible. Uh, We will be, as the scriptures say, a radiant church without stain, holy and blameless before God. Now right now, the, the church is made up of people who have been declared holy once for all through Jesus and are in the process of living that out. And as messy as it is, and as wrong as we get that, uh, that's who we are. Called to be saints, God's holy ones. So I want to encourage you with the truth that our status is not based on our work, but on the work of Jesus. Our identity is secure because it's not our doing, but it's God's doing. He has made it possible. This brings us to the third truth, that the church includes all who call upon Jesus. So the church is God's, the church is sanctified, and now the church includes all who call on Jesus. Verse 2 continues, saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now probably many of you are not aware that uh, in response to Hurricane Harvey and the things that we experienced here in our community and, and greater Houston, there were churches and Christians from all over who sent gifts to us as a church to meet the needs here. And so uh, to, to, to help those who were directly impacted by the storm. And as a result, we distributed, uh, I think it was over $200,000 that was given for that purpose to people immediately impacted in our community. And it came from churches and Christians who didn't know anybody here except maybe one or two people. And so it wasn't this great outpouring of all this personal connection. We had one church send us over $100,000 to that end. We didn't use any of that here in rebuilding what we needed and replacing the... No, we we gave that to people in need, distributed here to our faith community, to individuals, families who were in need. And and that came from people uh, at churches in New York and Connecticut and Pennsylvania and Florida and Illinois and California. And it was all sent because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why. I wrote, I hand-wrote many personal thank you notes. Completely illegible, but it's the thought that counts, right? And sent them to churches and Christians everywhere, thanking them for their generosity that came because of Jesus. Now, uh, Corinth was an influential city. It was a popular city. And it tended toward elitism and superiority. It's kind of an American thing too, but it's it's Corinthian. Elitism, superiority. And that has no place among the people of God. Uh, The church, Paul wants them to to know, is bigger than Corinth. Bigger than Corinth. And the church is bigger than Cyprus. The church is bigger than Houston. The church is bigger than Texas even. The church is bigger than the United States. No, the church is all those who have called on Jesus. It's, it's not some man-made organization. It's not a gathering of like-minded people who have the same interests. No, it is a diverse people with very different ideas and different tastes and different backgrounds and personalities, but they're centered on Christ And we are not self-sufficient, and we must not think of ourselves that way. We're not detached from other Christians. We are one in Christ. We are together sanctified. We are saints, 
But that just puts us on equal footing with all of God's people everywhere who name the name of Jesus. I had the privilege some years ago of uh, going on a mission trip in Thailand. And uh, the team I was with uh, was a a small one. And uh, for one of the days, just one day, we were able to go to a village high in the mountains just on the border of Myanmar. You could look and see Myanmar from where we were. And because of that, we were not able to stay overnight uh, because it was a dangerous place to be in this, this mountain village because foreigners were often uh, uh, robbed or kidnapped uh, or killed mainly for their passports. And, and so uh, w- our invitation there to join with uh, b- some believers in that small mountain village said, okay, you just be here during the day and you have to leave before nightfall. And so we got up very early in the morning, traveled high up to that mountain place and uh, joined in with them in a church service together, followed by a meal. And, uh, and it was such a delight to meet with these folks uh, who did not speak English. I did not understand a word of their language. Uh, I, I wasn't preaching. Somebody else on the team was preaching. Uh, and uh, so th- there were three or four of us that spoke English. He preached in English. It was translated then into Thai, and that was translated then into the mountain dialect. So this service took a while. And, uh, and I have to tell you, as I listen to it in English, I'm going, you know, there's really not a lot about Jesus in this message, and so I hope it gets better with every translation. Uh, there was a lot of talk about missions. There was a lot of talk about church planning, not enough talk about Jesus. Uh, and, and I just prayed, as I often do, that the translation gets better as it goes through the various interpreters and not worse. So... Um, What a joy, though, to be able to worship and listen to the singing of people who love Jesus. And even though I didn't understand the message, uh, the the, the language, after a portion of time, I began to understand what the name of Jesus sounded like in that singing as I heard it again and again. And all we had in common was Jesus. And that's what Paul says. That's what the church is all about. Uh, Four, uh, the church has all it needs through Jesus. Beginning of verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Now, knowing what a mess this church was, how can Paul say he's always thanking God for them? How's that? Is this sarcasm? Is Paul sarcastic? No, I don't think in any way. He is thankful for what God has done in this church, no matter how imperfect they are. And God's grace is a treasure. It's riches. They've been enriched by the grace of God. And that grace is poured out on God's people, all those who are in Christ. And one way that grace is displayed is by the charismatai, the the spiritual gifts. That's the word here for gift, which Paul will talk about uh, a great deal more in this letter. Uh, But uh, one of the problems in the church at Corinth was that they were highly prizing and or misusing some of the gifts over others. And in fact, two of the gifts that they highly prized uh, were speech and knowledge. Why? Well, because that was what their culture prized, the ability to speak and communicate beautifully and to have this great insight and wisdom. And so they were proud of these gifts and actually misusing them. But Paul is still grateful uh, because these are from God, even though they're misusing them. He sees their spiritual eloquence and he sees their spiritual insight at work uh, in the, the people and he thanks God. And though 
he wants them to know they're fully equipped to carry out the mission. They're fully equipped to carry out the ministry. Every gift, every spiritual ability necessary for the ministry is provided. There's no resource missing. And that's true for every church, no matter how big or small it is. Uh, that's, that's the promise of God. Each one has all the gifts needed to carry out the mission. Now, frankly, through the years of my ministry, there have been times that I've, I've uh, seen someone taken suddenly by death or moved out for a job or, or uh, leaving the church for some other reason. People who were extremely integral to the ministry who had either a behind-the-scenes impact that, that just huge shoes to fill, or a leadership impact or some other way. Uh, and, and there have been many times I've wondered, who's going to replace him or her? How's that going to happen? But, but that's not the worry, because it, it always is replaced, because the gifts come from God. They don't reside in any one person. Uh, and he supplies all we need. And by the way, that's why we must be in community as a church. I hope during this time of, of separation and, and uh, pulling apart that you don't begin to think, well, we don't really need the church gathered. We, we don't, uh, that, that my uh, little family is enough. Uh, no, no, no. That's not how God created us to be. None of us have all the gifts. Therefore, we must be in community. We must be in a church as the New Testament defines that church whether it's big or small because together we are the body of christ and then finally the fifth point is that the church will not fail paul concludes saying as you wait for the revealing of our lord jesus christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our lord jesus christ god is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son jesus christ our lord so as messed up as these Corinthian Christians were at the moment, Paul knows it's Jesus who's holding them together. Jesus is keeping you. Your future is secure because of Jesus. And you will make it to the end. And when he says the end there, he's not talking about the end of their lives, or the end of when the, the, the church uh, is done. No, he's talking about the day when Jesus will be fully revealed. The, the Greek word is apocalypsis. It's that day when, when Christ will be unveiled and we will see him as he is. And that day when all secrets will be exposed and nothing is hidden. And God's people will be able to stand before him, uh, Paul says, uh, without guilt, guiltless. That is without blame because of Jesus. No charge against us can stand because of Jesus. As Romans 8 says, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. And because God is faithful to do that, and our future is certain, we can continue to be His people in this place at this time. And together, we grow more and more like Jesus. As we fail and fall and we stumble, uh, we get back up because of the grace of God and we continue growing uh, into the image of His Son. And we testify to this world their need of the good news of Jesus. And we're not going to do that perfectly, but despite our failures and the, the blind spots of the past and, and our many flaws and weaknesses right now, God is faithful. I love what uh, Earl Palmer said when some uh, people critical of the church came to him and, and said, hey, the church is full of hypocrites. It, it, it's full of scandal, and it's irrelevant in our culture. And we're going to hear about that more and more in our day. It's irrelevant to the culture. Here's what Earl said. 
when my local high school orchestra attempts Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, it is appalling. Now, I left out the name of his high school out of respect for them. But I've heard some high school orchestras. I've been in some high school orchestras. Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, not easy to pull off. Um, he says it's appalling. He said if old Ludwig could hear this, he would roll over in his grave. So why bother? Why make those poor kids try to play Beethoven of all things? Not even the great Chicago Symphony Orchestra can make that perfect. And Palmer said my answer is that for some people, that high school orchestra will be their only encounter with the great Ninth Symphony. And far from perfect, it's the only way they'll hear Beethoven's message. And he said the only way a starving, thirsty, deluded, suffering world will ever hear the music of the gospel is through the church, which is arguably the worst high school orchestra ever to take the stage. But God has called us to do it. And not even the gates of hell can stand against it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your church. We thank you for all that you have made possible because of Jesus. And we ask that we would be your people in this place, confident not in ourselves or our own gifts and abilities, but confident in our Savior who has made us saints of the living God. Grow your church for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
I'm going to invite uh, Beth Gonzalez to join me uh, here, six feet apart from me, Beth. And Beth has uh, served as uh, our church administrator here at Cypress Bible Church for 15 years. And uh, in that role, she does all kinds of things. And uh, things like managing our budget and uh, receiving the disbursement of church funds, all kinds of things. Uh, she supervises four staff members and uh, oversees facility projects and improvements and deals with insurance and website and bulletin communications and employee benefits and records and, and much, much that's not on her job description as well. Uh, so, uh, in other words, she, uh, she's been in the tech booth, which really doesn't have anything to do with your job at all, every Sunday for every service since we've been live streaming our services and uh, uh, filling there. She also serves as a volunteer in uh, children's ministry and vacation Bible school and other things. Just appreciate, Beth, so much your uh, willingness to do anything and everything, uh, really, with great passion uh, to serve the Lord here. And uh, frankly, uh, I, I've had to stop Beth from doing things. I haven't stopped her enough sometimes uh, and I try to get her to let go of some things as well. Uh, I've Beth, you guard expenditures here at the church with greater ferocity than if it was your own money. And uh, yes, an enormous amount of personal responsibility that she takes with great passion. Now, uh, I, I asked uh, Mike Boyd, who's worked with you for a long time, just share a couple words with you. I can't share everything Mike said, so I'm going to email it to you later. But here are some things. It was all good, but uh, it was a lot. Uh, Mike's been heavily involved in... Uh, CBC finances and missions for, for a long time. And in that capacity, he's worked a lot with you, Beth. And uh, he said, when I come in on Monday mornings to help count the offering and run the deposit to the bank, I drop by your office and find out what's going on in the church, things we need to fix, ways to be more efficient, make things better. And during those chats, usually two or three people come in to let you know something isn't working. Your job description must be that everything on campus functioned perfectly every day, all day, and twice on Sunday. Uh, I've watched you grow into this job. You, you've learned to negotiate premiums and find the lowest service plans, the best, cheapest cleaning crew, and on and on. You've got your foot on the gas or the brake to make the budget work. You're not the, you are the gatekeeper we need, and it takes a strong personality. He said, your best performance has been since Hurricane Harvey. You were involved in creating temporary office spaces, getting computers up and running, the rebuilding project. The congregation graciously gave to our facility recovery fund, and it turned into a two-year, $800,000 construction project in addition to your regular day job. You have my deepest appreciation and admiration for all that you do. So that's Mike. I could get uh, things from uh, many other people as well. But uh, in recognition of uh, your 15-year anniversary, there is a financial gift that comes to the, from the church. Uh, you didn't sign that check. Uh, we dealt with that separately. And... Uh, uh, also, just another little trinket of a gift. If you know Beth at all, you know she's a big sports fan, uh, and uh, she's a Houston Astros fan. And uh, I, so I've got here an assortment of official Astros face masks for you. <laughs> you can join that. 
You are welcome. Thank you for all that you do. Let's stand together and let me close uh, this service in prayer for Beth and for all of us. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace uh, poured out upon us. We thank you for, for Beth and her service, representative of the service of so many here uh, for the gospel of Jesus. And so now, Lord, send us forth in your power uh, w- with your blessing to do your work in this world. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.